Episode 52 with Anthony Green. He's the Chief Revenue Officer of Field Day. He has a background that's so deep and long into food, into technology. He th- Anthony thrives in small, fast-growing, entrepreneurial environments. And that's why he's here today to talk about his passion and his love for food, for restaurants, for marketing, branding, and how do restaurants compete in this uber competitive space you've got all the online uh, brands that are now competing with your traditional brick and mortars do you ever wonder you know how does a brand kind of evolve just online well it's the ghost kitchen or the virtual kitchen world that these companies are now competing with and against to get their food delivered to you and i this is a fantastic episode you will learn more about restaurants and food and the competitive nature, the margins, the revenues, everything you wanted to know. Anthony is our SME and he is joining us today to break it all down. Enjoy. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today on Winning at Work. You are the technology and marketing restaurant food expert. We talked a little bit offline about the big trends happening right now in food. So, uh, let's turn it over to you. What are you seeing right now in this space? Yeah, well, Tony, thank, first of all, thanks for having me. It's awesome to be on. The trends that were beginning to appear within the industry pre-COVID, certainly many, of, many have been multiplied uh, through COVID, and that's primarily around what I'd broadly term as the off-premises business for restaurants, so the non-dine-in customer. Uh, you know, we think of that primarily as the delivery partners, the Uber Eats, the Postmates of the world, which are a big part of it. And obviously the reliance upon delivery in particular and also pickup for restaurants in the past 12 months has been astronomical. That, that prior it was certainly important. Certainly there was a lot of growth in that area in the restaurant industry, uh, but COVID just really fast-tracked that. And for the restaurant brands that weren't prepared for uh, for a delivery based or an off-premises uh, based business, um, they really struggled at the start of COVID because they didn't have their technology up and running correctly. They didn't have their third-party relationships in place. They hadn't designed the operation of their business um, sufficiently to deal with ch- the closing of dining rooms and then all of the business going out, you know, either through pickup or delivery. So, so those trends that were definitely occurring before COVID really got fast-tracked very, very quickly. And of course, the restaurants that have survived and thrived through the last 12 months are the ones that had made the investments in things like technology and, and even in areas like we're going to focus on today, which is this concept of ghost or virtual kitchens and brands, which has gone from you know 60 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour through COVID. Uh, and it's really the wild west out there right now. It is the Wild West, and I've talked to many people about these ghost kitchens, and for people who aren't very aware of them, people who are not you know, in food service, it's a fascinating concept. But to those of us who are in the space, we understand it, but I like to uh, appeal to a broad market. So by all means, uh, take us into this world of ghost kitchens and what that means, maybe contrast it to virtual kitchens a little bit later in our session today, Anthony. Yeah, I think a lot of these terms, Tony, are pretty interchangeable and frankly, kind of confusing, particularly to folks that aren't in the industry. Uh, we, when I was at Kitchen United, we really tried to move away from the term ghost kitchen because the Kitchen United model is different than some of the others. 
But really, I would argue that when it comes to the kitchens as opposed to the brands, you know, whether it's ghost, whether it's virtual, whether it's dark, uh, some folks even call them cloud kitchens, which is obviously one of the brands in the space. They're pretty interchangeable, give or take. They really kind of mean the same thing. And ultimately what that means is you have uh, a, a production of food from a, from a brand inside of a kitchen, just like you would in any restaurant, but there's no dine-in customer. There's no ability for somebody to come and eat on premise. Certainly they may be able to come in and pick it up themselves and then take it away. But really, mostly these ghost virtual dark cloud kitchens, they were really designed for the off-premises business in mind. So off-premises is three tiers. It's delivery, obviously, and that's what most people think of. Again, the Uber Eats, the, the DoorDashes of the world. It's, it's customer or consumer pickup is off-premises, obviously, because they're also not consuming that on-premise. And then catering is the, is the third. And, and catering really took a hit, obviously, during COVID uh, and, and um, went from, for a lot of folks, as a cash cow, uh, to almost non-existent. Certainly catering is now coming back to some degree. And so the idea behind the ghost or virtual kitchen was why why take out a, a long-term lease on a building? Why spend a million dollars plus on refurbing that space? Uh, why have all these labor costs and overheads when the majority of the growth of the business in the future is going to be off-premises? That People aren't dining in as much. And so why go ahead and spend all that capital investment on getting a restaurant set up when the majority of the business potentially is going to go out the door through delivery, pickup or catering. So that's where the ghost kitchen concept was born. The idea being that you have one building. Uh, Normally that building would be in a pretty dense area. Obviously you want to be around where people live and work. And inside that building, it could be between eight and 20,000 square feet. You're going to build as many kitchens as you can conceivably fit inside there along with other infrastructure that's required, freezers and ventilation systems and so on and so forth. Once it's built, you might have eight to 20 kitchens available and those kitchens are then leased out to restaurants. Those restaurants might be as big as Wendy's and McDonald's. They might be as small as the hot local Thai restaurant around the corner. The idea was for these folks, they could come in for no capital investment whatsoever, so no long-term lease no having to build out, fit out, design a restaurant, just really move in, kind of switch on your third-party delivery systems and start serving food at a monthly rate. Uh, It's a little bit like, and I think we can use this analogy again now because they seem to be coming back, it's a little bit like a WeWork-type model for restaurants. So you you sort of move in, the kitchen, the equipment's there, the technology's there, the heating, the cooling, all those things are just set up ready to go. You just order in your product, you fire up your orders, and you get them out the door. So it just removed a lot of the barrier, or or ghost kitchens do remove a lot of the barriers to entry for setting up a new restaurant. And so there's really two primary use cases for ghost kitchens, and these have expanded a little bit now with COVID. One was break into a new market. So if you have a trade area that you don't serve today, uh, instead of going in and building a new restaurant there, perhaps you just open a ghost kitchen in that trade area so that you can access a whole new set of consumers and businesses without having to spend the money. The other use case was for the big brands uh, who, who just who might have other units, other restaurants in an area, but they're just overwhelmed because they can't handle the dine-in customer alongside the pickup, the delivery, and the catering. It just was overwhelming the, the restaurant that wasn't actually ever really built to have you know 15 different Uber Eats drivers arrive every hour to pick up orders. And so those folks where they were 
they had too much business, they would offset some of that and they would move their off-premises business into a ghost kitchen. So it was really either for expansion into new markets or to to offload the increasing uh, demands of, of off-premises dining. It's brilliant. How are the margins compared to traditional brick and mortar? The margins pending revenue being at a, at the level they need to be, obviously sales is the, is the key factor here, are on paper better um, because you don't have that upfront capital expense. You don't have any depreciation associated with that. You don't have big expense, even on equipment or any of those pieces. Uh, some, of the, some of the numbers in the P&L are going to be higher. For instance, most of the business you're going to do out of one of these facilities is going to be third-party delivery, and therefore you're paying you know, folks are paying 25, 30 points on an order for those, for those orders. So there's some areas where the model for ghost kitchens are more expensive, but net net, when you add up, you know, labor and all the different pieces that are involved in running a, a kitchen or a restaurant, you're looking at somewhere between 15 and 20% EBITDA improvement over a traditional four wall restaurant uh, by operating in a ghost kitchen. Now, again, the key there is you have to hit, you know, at a certain revenue number um, to make that successful. And what I found in my two years working in that space is that wasn't possible for everybody. Um, and obviously, that's the same with any restaurants. We see restaurants pre-COVID would go out of business. Certainly, a lot went out of business during COVID, very sadly. Um, as long as you're hitting certain revenue thresholds inside the ghost kitchen environment, you can nail it in terms of return on investment. Um, the big challenge, though, obviously, is hitting those numbers. And when you're in a ghost kitchen, you don't have a, a brand on the, on the street. You're not on the corner where people are coming by and seeing you. That piece of getting out there and letting consumers know that you're there and driving revenue was actually one of the biggest challenges. But on paper, assuming you can find ways to find customers and drive your annual average unit volume or annual unit volume to the right level, um, it, it is a stronger uh, scenario from a P&L standpoint because you, you just sort of you're paying a flat monthly fee, and so that's much more predictable, and you're not out of pocket all those upfront expenses. Yeah, it makes sense, and you really just have to focus in on having the right menu, the right mix to to hit that top line. You know, to be that. Uh, choice that the customer wants in that area. So I think it kind of plays into the ghost kitchen model is if you want to break into a new market, you know, try something new, just make sure that you're providing what that, you know, what that uh, local environment wants. You mentioned um, th there were some like technology demands. So it, obviously if you can't, if a customer just can't walk by and see you, then you've got to have this beautiful online presence. Is that part of what you're talking about in terms of these technology demands? Yeah, to some degree. I mean, it really is centered around the third-party delivery platforms, the Uber Eats, the Postmates, the DoorDashes, the Grubhubs, and the others, is that obviously we all know these companies, we all know their valuations, uh, and we also know the double-edged sword they provide to the industry. In many ways, you could look at, from one perspective, they help save a lot of restaurants during COVID because they have a ton of users using their apps. They're technologically savvy, and people love ordering food delivery. Um, the other side of that sword, as I've touched on, is the fees they're charging. You know, if you're running a restaurant and you're at a 10 to 15% EBITDA, uh, which is somewhere around average um, pre-COVID, I'm not sure what the numbers are now, um, and then you're paying out on majority of your orders 30 points, clearly that doesn't add up. Um, and so it's it's the challenge is that becoming so reliant upon these third parties, not only 
are you paying out such huge rates for uh, the convenience of the marketplace and then the, the, the delivery piece, you're also, you don't know who your customer is. And this may, this long-term is even a, a bigger problem. Uh, Uber, all, all of those platforms, they obviously want to own the customer. Uh, where you're reliant purely on these marketplaces for the majority of, re- of your revenue, you know, not only are you paying these exorbitant fees, but also you just don't know who the customer is. You don't have a direct line to the customer. And so- Yeah, that's tough. Very much so. And this, we've seen this in other industries. You know, we've seen this, Amazon would be an example and people selling through Amazon. There's been a lot of other industries disrupted, as we know, in the past. Uh, the restaurant industry was getting disrupted pre-COVID and now uh, it's continuing to go through that. I tell the brands that have invested, and obviously if you've got scale, if you're Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Taco Bell, you can negotiate good rates with these guys and actually probably see a return there. But for the vast majority of restaurants, they're paying still 30, some are paying 32 points on an order uh, for the, for these orders to go out. And that's just, they're just losing money, frankly, on most of that business. And so it's been very, very important for brands to invest in their own customer marketing channels, their own loyalty programs, their own customer acquisition, their own e-commerce portals to drive orders directly through their own channels. Uh, the brands that have done that successfully, even if they're not massive global brands, uh, if they did that before COVID, they were in a much, much stronger position uh, because they weren't handing off all of this revenue and not having any sense of understanding of who their customer is. So that's continuing to be a major trend in the industry. I think the folks that didn't get around to doing that before COVID have begun to certainly realize now the vital importance of owning their customer, knowing who their customer is, having a direct relationship with their customer and being able to transact directly with them uh, rather than being, again, solely reliant upon these third parties. Um, so platforms like Olo is a great example of, of a platform that is in some ways the anti-Uber Eats or the anti-Postmates. Um, they've just gone public uh, recently very successfully and will continue to grow because they were smart enough to be that platform and the leading platform from an e-commerce standpoint to help restaurant brands to to control their own destiny, to, to, to be in touch with their customers, transact directly and not be reliant solely upon these third parties. Yeah, it's much more than just a website, as I had alluded to this, you know, building this customer marketing channel is is vitally important. And you said Olo is one of those um, that they can kind of tie into. Now, I know we weren't really, you know, prepared to talk about building a customer marketing channel. Maybe that's something that we talk about later, but that that's a fascinating topic. It is. I mean, let's touch on it a bit. I mean, Olo is sort of more the plumbing, uh, the, the, the e-commerce technology around that. Um, Another huge trend, you know, we talk about ghost virtual kitchens. We've also got the ghost virtual brands. Um, this is really the Wild West, more than the kitchens. The, the, the interesting thing, Tony, with the kitchens is that's a really expensive business to be in. That's why you've got, uh, you know, you've got Travis Kalanick and, and his investors. You've got, you know, Reef with SoftBank's money behind them and, and others. Really deep pockets, right? Because you got to go out and take out 10-year leases or buy buildings. Um, you've then got to spend millions of dollars fitting them out with kitchens, and then you've got to run the things. Like, that's that's not an easy space to break into. And so there's still a pretty limited number of players who are sort of attempting to do that. And, and COVID actually fit the model on its head anyway because really now any kitchen is a ghost kitchen, honestly. There's really very little point 
uh, in building these dedicated facilities, unless you have a billion dollars in the bank and you can you can ride it out and drive everyone out of business over the long term. But the cost of building these things from scratch now that any any restaurant kitchen, but also kitchens in hotels and in colleges and schools, I mean these these are all being now repurposed because of COVID to some degree into kitchens that can can spit out multiple brands. And these brands are sometimes they're real brands that we know and love. Sometimes they're brands that are coming from these businesses like Nextbuy, who also just raised a ton of money. Um, they're kind of made up, right? They're, they're, they're brands in categories that are popular. They're chicken sandwiches and wings and barbecue and tacos and all the all the regular you know popular food types. But they're brands you've never heard of, and so that has thrown the industry probably on its head more than anything because you've now got all these different virtual brands you can choose from. And if you're a restaurant here in Venice Beach and you're a, you're a Mexican restaurant, you could add two of these brands and never serve them to your customers who come in, but you could certainly put, pop them up on, on Uber Eats and have a burger brand and, you know, a vegan brand, let's say, uh, and, and increase your revenue through, you know, using the same kitchen, the same stuff, the same equipment, but just creating some different dishes and, and taking advantage of the growth in delivery. That, that sounds very attractive and, and can be successful for a lot of restaurants, the challenge right now is there's just such a proliferation of these brands that the, the consumers just the, the, the consumer choice is there's just too much, frankly. And there's no brand awareness. There's no brand affinity. There's been no customer acquisition of these brands. They're just sort of thrown out there. Uh, and certainly some customers stumble upon them and some of them might like them and reorder from them. But we're, we've got too many brands and we're going to continue. This growth, I, I believe, will continue for the next I'd say 12, 18, 24 months, then there'll probably be some sort of reckoning because there's just too many options in market. And if you can't build, like any other industry, that brand awareness, that brand affinity and have that customer loyalty, then it's going to be a very uh, very short-lived experience. And so um, that, that has thrown the ghost kitchen, the old model of let's take out a 10-year lease on a building Let's put four or five million dollars of investor money into building it. Let's get some restaurants in there, and the payback will be, you know, four to five years. I don't believe that model exists anymore because you can have, you know, you can have the Marriott hotel chain, thousands of hotels, thousands of kitchens. They and they're doing this. Uh, I don't know if Marriott specifically, but certainly hotel chains are doing this, where they're adding virtual brands into their kitchen. You might have ten brands coming out of a big commercial Marriott kitchen. Not only are they giving the people that are staying in the hotel much better and varied food options and boring old room service, but they're able to fire off a whole new revenue channel by having the delivery services come and pick up those orders from that kitchen. So now that you've got any kitchen anywhere in a commercial sense can be turned into something that's churning out multiple brands of multiple food types, um, it's, really, it's really flattened the playing field in many ways for entry. But we're gonna just—we've got too many brands, too many options, and there's going to be some sort of reckoning, you know, here in the next couple of years. Yeah, I can't imagine how a, a company, a brand, tries to create this you know, a brand evangelist when there's no brick and mortar. You have no way to really interact with that customer. It's just, you know, is their food Instagrammable? Can they take some pictures of it? Do they enjoy the food? But is that really enough, you know, to keep that to keep that loyalty? I think that's a great point. I think. Um, it's really hard. consolidation of that, right? Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, look, I, I spent most of my career before, all my career before I joined Kitchen United, and, and obviously now I'm at Field Day, 
in the digital marketing world. I was early to social media and early to email marketing a long time ago. And, and what I have seen is, and particularly as well in our industry, the saturation of digital now, it's so hard for anyone really to cut through any brand, unless you're Nike or Apple or whomever, to really cut through the noise. And, and particularly for restaurants, there's still 700 plus thousand, thank goodness, still after COVID restaurant units in this country. Uh, that's a lot of restaurants and there's a lot of restaurants in each community. And so digital marketing, yes, important. Yes, they have to use social. Yes, they have to do their search marketing. Yes, they have to have their website and, and be on the third-party marketplaces. All of that is very much table stakes now. But none of that really, unless you have crazy budget or you're particularly savvy in, in, in tweaking that digital marketing, very difficult to cut through the noise. And so this is actually one of the reasons, one of the main reasons I've joined Field Day because we experienced this at Kitchen United very much so with brands coming into the ghost kitchen environment and just not having, first of all, the time as a franchisee or a restaurant operator, 95% of these folks don't have the time in the day to do marketing. It's just they're running a business. They're running a restaurant. The ones that do have the time, do they have the capability and the wherewithal to want to go out into the community, to the business community I'm talking about that surrounds their restaurant and drum up business? And that's a rounding error, honestly, of people that have the time and the capacity and the desire to want to do that. Um, feel the manpower. Exactly. It, it, that, that, that sort of, yeah, manpower with time. It's just, it doesn't exist. And so we were, try, we were wrestling with this at Kitchen United because, you know, we had the Chick-fil-A's and the Portillo's and they were fine and they were doing huge numbers and they didn't need us. Um, but the more local restaurants and some of the more regional chains, particularly where they were going into a market where they didn't have that brand awareness, really were struggling often early to get off and running because people just didn't know they were there. They were, they were hiding on DoorDash with 300 other restaurants. So we were looking at my time there, how do we help the restaurants get out into the field and let the business community know uh, because getting to the business community is a B2B but also B2B to C way of driving revenue. And this is one of the reasons I'm here because I, I knew that this, I know that this, and I continue to know this because I do it now every day full time, this is a big problem is that so much effort has and, and emphasis has gone into digital we almost forgot about old school, let's get back into the community. Let's get a human-to-human -human experience going here. Let, we're a local business. These are local businesses. Let's reach out to them as a human, not with a digital ad or an Instagram post, uh, and just let them know you're here. Let them know you're a local business as well and that you'd like to do something special for them considering it's been such a tough year. That traditionally, Tony, was very hard to scale because you might have – two, 3,000 businesses that you could contact in, in each individual trade area. You multiply that by 50 units or a 1,000-unit restaurant, that's, a, that's huge scale. It's also massive potential because the reason you put your restaurant in these places in the first place is obviously because of the people that live and work there. So that old-school approach of like how do we get back out there and, and, and talk to people on the phone and meet with them in an, with an empathetic message to say, hey, we're all local here. We're all in the same community. It's been a tough year. Let's find out a way that we can kind of work together. That's what we're doing here. And it's being met from the restaurant community with open arms because this is what they used to do before digital. They would get out and meet with the community. And from the, from the business side, they're loving it because they're seeing this as a, a local outreach. They're seeing this as, oh, there's a restaurant around the corner. 
They want to help us out and do something and feed our people. Um, and, the, and it's a sort of that local empathetic approach that is really lost, I think, with all of this focus on digital marketing today. So that, that's sort of a, a different old school way of like scaling an, an old problem. You know, that's just music to my ears because when I'm training new recruiters, they all want to spend their time in socials and in this digital world. And there's this thing called a telephone <laughs> where you can call and actually communicate with people one-on-one. -on -one. You know, imagine that, the human-to-human -human interaction. That sounds like that's exactly what you're doing as chief revenue officer now at field day. Kind of walk us through like a, a scenario that there's a – a company, a brand that has maybe a, a couple of units in a market and they're trying to get a message out and they say, connect with Field Day. How do they go about, you know, getting that message out or how does Field Day go about getting that message out for that, for that uh, brand? For sure. I mean, we're focused on generating local demand and we use a number of different levers to do that today. Primarily the two levers we use are phone calls and getting back out now that, and it's the perfect time now because thank goodness the world and the nation are reopening, getting back out there with humans going into these businesses, gyms, schools, colleges, hospitals, um, and meeting with folks on behalf of the restaurant with vouchers and samples. Um, we, we also have, you know, other solutions via email and print and digital, but we're very much about looking at a, a restaurant unit. Let's take the, um, let's call it uh, Panera in Venice beach, Panera is one of our biggest customers and we're going to look at a, you know, one to two mile radius around Panera and Venice beach. And we're going to say, you know, who are the businesses in that area right now? A lot of the work we're doing, Tony is around appreciation season. This is a great excuse to reach out as a business because we've got administrators appreciation, uh, hospital administrators appreciation, teachers appreciation all coming up in May. Um, and so we're going to say, for instance, with Panera, they're going to say, well, show us all the schools within a certain, you know, within the trade area of our Venice restaurant. Let's get, let's reach out to those schools and let's say, Hey, we want to do something special, a special deal for the teachers for appreciation week. So what we're doing is we use, uh, the gig economy here. This is the way we can scale what we do. So step one is we have a very powerful database where we can at a click of a button, see all the schools, all the hospitals, all the law firms or whomever they want to target in the trade area with contact name and details. We, we then have a trained ambassador. A lot of these are professional moms who are looking for side gigs at home um, who are very conversant on the phone. Um, they're going to call uh, all of those schools in the trade area on behalf of Panera with a local empathetic message um, to say they want to do something special to help them. Um, what comes out of that is there's a B2B opportunity for catering. There's also a consumer offer that we're going to email through um, for all the people that work in that company. And then what we're doing, Tony, is we're following up now because everything's reopening, where then the ambassador is then going out and physically meeting with that business. And they're coming out with food samples and vouchers and coupons. And right now across the country, we're doing this with Panera. We're doing it with Tropical Smoothie Cafe, Smoothie King, Potbelly, a number of different brands in the restaurant industry. And it's amazing the wave that we're riding right now because obviously the time we're all coming out of, human interaction and contact, albeit socially distanced, albeit with masks, is so, so welcome. And, of course, we're in an industry where we can bring food. I mean, who doesn't love food? And so that, that local phone call, that empathetic non-salesy message, we want to help you, we've got an offer here for you, can we send it through? We're getting nine out of 10 of those people we call in the hospitality industry 
having a conversation with our ambassadors. And then half of those people are giving us their email address because they want to interact. They want to engage. They want to look good. If, if they're the receptionist at the 200 person tech firm and they're going to get, they've got a really cool buy one, get one free offer from Panera. They're going to send that through to everyone to order at home um, as well as potentially order Panera for catering. And so that, that one, first punch of a phone call, a personal phone call uh, from a local business to a local business, and then being able to follow that up obviously with the email, but then going out and being welcomed in because you've already built that rapport and we've got food and samples and coupons. Um, that one, two punch right now is working beautifully and it's unexpected and it's, it's different than digital. And it's going back to what restaurants are really best at, which is human to human engagement interaction. That's been very hard to do for the last year, but now it's coming back and we can do it again. And, and certainly delivery, and catering and pickup are going to continue to grow. They're going to continue to be very, very important to, to restaurants. But these folks have leases and restaurants and staff they're bringing back, and they want people to come back in as well and experience dining in at their restaurants. And this is a brilliant way that used to be incredibly difficult to scale because of those issues we talked about, no time, no resources. With, with field day, because we've got the data at the click of a button, we have two and a half thousand ambassadors already around the country trained and we're growing every day on ambassadors. And then we track and measure everything on the back end. Field marketing used to be sort of spray and pray. You know, you'd print out some coupons, you'd send someone out onto the, onto the corner of first and first or whatever, and they'd hand out coupons and you'd maybe get some redemptions. Um, because we're making phone calls, because we've got people going out visiting businesses, everything's tracked and measured. And so for the first time, this old challenge of like how the heck do we regularly get out to the, our, our trade area and talk to them about a new product we've got or we've reopened the store we've refurbished the store uh whatever whatever it might be how do we now now that's possible um and and, and scalable through what we're doing here well you're obviously helping the marketing department because the marketers they know that marketing does drive revenue but it's always been very difficult for them to go to the uh, decision maker and show them ROI. This is exactly what's happened because of our work. It sounds like you guys have built that technology platform on the back end. So all the work the brand ambassadors do kind of filter through and you can see, hey, these are the marketing dollars you're putting into field day and or these brand ambassadors and look at the, you know, new revenue opportunities that have come from it. Sounds so obvious that it, this always should have been like this. It is. I mean, it is obvious. The response in my seven weeks here to the folks you know I've known for the industry and the folks I've spoken to, probably 50 brands so far, has been no, no one has said this is a bad idea, put it that way. Um, it is, you know, the, the, one of the questions we ask these folks is if you could reach out and, and talk to on the phone and or in person 500 businesses in each of your trade areas, you know, Four, three, four times a year, would that result in more business? I mean, the answer is very is very straightforward. Obviously, it, it would and does. It's always been the challenge, though, is who's going to do it? Um, unfortunately, through COVID, some of these marketing departments have been decimated um, and a lot of people have shifted around. And we are, obviously, globally, but also in this microcosm of US restaurants, we're re-emerging at the moment and we're, we're re-emerging with new tools and new approaches and, and we've had to adapt um, and evolve through this time. Um, this, is a, this is just an area that like no one's doing because it's just always been very time-consuming, very labor-intensive. There haven't been the resources there to do it. 
and it just differentiates you. People don't expect, and this is why we have nine out of 10, nine. Now this is different, Tony, in non-hospitality. We work with telecommunications companies, gyms, you know, other sort of spaces as well. People aren't generally as excited, but in the food category, um, they're excited that, that the local restaurant, and by the way, everyone knows that restaurants have had a hard time. So that empathy is already there. That's true. And listen, you know, you have to support your local businesses if you want them to stay around. You can't just say, I love them and pass by and not open your wallet. For sure. That's another, I love, I love you brought that up. That's one of the other reasons I really wanted to join here because I love my local restaurants here in Venice and, and other cities around the country that I visit, uh, my regular spots. And I'm, I'm friends with some of those people and uh, it's challenging for them. It's been you know, the big global brands have done pretty well through this. I've come out stronger, actually, the Chick-fil-A's and McDonald's of the world. It's the local restaurants that have hurt the most. And to me, I believe they're the fabric of the community, that they're the vibe of the community. And being able to help them in a little way to get back on their feet, to get their message out about who they are, what they represent, to the constituents that live and work around them, that's exciting. That gets us all really pumped up here every day. Well, it definitely sounds like that's one of your passions. And one of the themes at Winning at Work on the podcast is, you know, people do want to get better. They want to elevate, you know, how they perform at work. And I'd like to just talk for a couple of minutes just about you personally. I know people don't like to talk about themselves, but you but you are the chief revenue officer. You've held uh, very senior level titles, you know, all throughout for the majority of your career. I'm just curious, what... Like, how do you show up to work? What are your unique skills, you know, that has enabled you to kind of reach where you are? What what can others do to kind of emulate some of this success you've had? Well, it's very kind. It's certainly been a unique road I've taken. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm putting I, you on the spot, but you well, know, let's let, let's talk through it. I mean, what? Obviously, you're someone who, you know, strives for results. That's obvious. Yeah, look, I think, Tony, the first thing for me is, and, and my parents instilled this in us, and I'm the youngest of six kids, to write our own story and to do our own thing. And, and so I've always – that's the probably – probably my, if I have a mantra, that would be my mantra is to, to be in situations where I get to test myself uh, and figure stuff out. And so that's really – I've really gravitated towards uh, the startup environment. So I've generally always worked in startup uh, uh, businesses, uh, early stage uh, companies, mostly in the tech world where normally what I'm selling, in fact, in every case, everything I've ever sold uh, and every team I've ever run, it's been a pretty much a brand new thing that no one's ever done before or heard of before. And so I love the challenge of having to figure the whole thing out, the whole go-to-market strategy. And then I like to see that through you know, at least a couple of years, I generally will get a little bit um, fidgety after a few years when things start to be, a, well, when things are smoother and, and, the, yeah, and, and, and the process. Yeah, more mature, right? The fun and the excitement is, is uh, waning. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, I just, I, I thrive in that. It makes me feel alive. I When I was younger, it used to stress me out a lot more because um, I just felt like we needed to have all the answers immediately now with, with some, some years behind me. I've realized that the journey, that is life. That is the whole point is like each day just figuring it out. I think the other stuff that, that I would I would relate to is 
really everything that I, I do outside of work. Um, I'm, I, I, I truly believe keeping a sound mind and body is just super critical to, to executing in a business environment. And so whether it's meditation, healthy eating, exercise, spending time with loved ones, travel, whatever, whatever the things are that are not work. Um, I just think are, are, are really, really important. And I'm a bigger believer in um, working smart and not necessarily just having, you know, just putting in long hours for the sake of it. Um, so I think the combination of that curiosity of like getting out into the world, um, challenging myself in your environments, being comfortable that, uh, I'm marching the beat of my own drum, um, keeping myself healthy and of sound mind and uh, just getting into places where certainly I want to go places where I believe there's a product market fit. I mean, that's critical. You don't want to go somewhere just for the sake of the challenge. Uh, and then be, being the first out there to to get a message out to folks, win those first customers and see it, see it grow. I mean, they're just sort of things that are in my DNA. Have you taken any like skills assessments? Have you done any kind of that uh, kind of introspection like that? Yeah, I mean, a little bit here and there. I'm not huge on it. My last boss at Kitchen United was one of my favorites ever. She was an incredible uh, woman. She comes from the world of Bain Consulting and big corporate. And so she was a little bit more of that vein. I'm a little less in in that in that regard. I think it's really important for people to, to add skills, to, to teach themselves, to learn, um, but I'm a little, probably a little bit more on the side of, um, of, uh, you know, seat of my pants kind of thing. <laughs> well, no, I definitely, um, uh, I, that kind of resonates with me, but I, I did take some, t- I, I don't like the test. Typically I've always avoided wanting to take those, but recently I was kind of talked into taking the Clifton skills finder and that one was particularly helpful to me. It just, it really emphasized that, yes, I love to take action and I love to wrestle with new ideas. And I need to put myself in situations where I can take action or if people are struggling to move and to take action, that's the cue for me to go in and get everybody moving. And I'm a great brainstorm partner. And it's also been said that that fits really, really well in an entrepreneurial environment. And you mentioned that that's a a space that you have been attracted to. So I imagine you've got a little bit of that in you as well. Yeah, I think, I, I think you're right. And I would say that most of my, most, almost everything I've learned from a business standpoint has just come through practice through being in these companies. I've been fortunate along the way. I've had a couple of great bosses that have taught me a lot of stuff. I've had some not so great ones as well, but equally I learned from those folks. I mean, it's one of the great things of life is looking and, and taking lessons. Often the better lessons, in fact, come from um, situations that you may deem at the time to be quote-unquote bad or, or difficult, but ultimately they're, they're, they're the growth periods. And um, I, I could never be in an environment where every day was the same. Um, it's just not how I'm wired. And, and it takes all different types of people to make the world spin. And, and, and I, I've got a couple of folks here at Field Day that have been here a little, little bit longer than me um, who have come from bigger companies that sometimes are flabbergasted by the, the, the fact that everything isn't perfectly organized. And I've, I've had said, said to both of them that relative to what I've seen, we are actually pretty on top of things, um, but it's par for the course and, and encouraging them to try and approach these challenges, not as problems necessarily, not as things for them to stress about, but something, th- th- you know, solutions that we can create and look back on and say, wow, we solved that. And, and the, the, the joy that brings me and I think everyone um, getting through a 
tough, tough time, whether it be in personal life or business life, solving it and coming through the other side harder. Um, I think that's how we evolve and grow. I agree. I think it brings the best out of you when you're really put in the fire, so to speak. Yeah. Hard to say, that, um, easy to say hard to do sometimes, particularly in the moment, but that's the beauty of hindsight. It, it, it's true though. It is, it's absolutely true. And if you've not been in fire, um, you, I don't want to say go out and look for it, but we talk about it internally that you, you really need things to get to a boiling point, right? And if you're not pushing hard enough and things aren't boiling, then, you know, your, your metal's not really being tested and the company can't grow. You've got to push into that. Um, now, listen, as we, as we finish up, I, I know you had mentioned you guys are hiring. Why don't you, if, if, if there's a particular need you have, why don't you mention it now? Maybe there are people listening that they're very attracted to this type of company, this energy, this vibe, you know, your style. Maybe this is a good time to, to plug some of the needs that, that you might have right now. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. So we're hiring right now for account managers to join my team uh, to manage and grow uh, our restaurant and other retail uh, customers. So a couple of, couple of headcount there right now that I'm interviewing for as we speak. Um, on the operational side of the business, we're looking for customer success managers. Uh, we're looking for folks in operations, uh, both internal operations to the business, but also the ambassador operations. This is a very specific type of job that I <laughs> could never do. I don't have the patience for that. Um, but we, we are, you know, every day we, we have average of a few hundred applications a day nationwide to become ambassadors. This is, this is the gig economy. We're all familiar with that term. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people through COVID out of work, a lot of skilled people work at home. Maybe they're even working from home. They're just looking for hustle. They're looking for additional revenue. They're good on the phone. They want to go out into the community and like meet with people. So that area we're hiring for quite heavily because we have to make sure, obviously, of all these applications, we can't accept everybody. They've got You've to got go to through. vet them. They have to fit Absolutely. the style, right? They've got to be hundred um, percent. They've got, they've got yeah. to, you know, certain criteria need to be met. And then when they come onto a gig, they need to learn about Panera or they need to learn about us cellular or, you know, yoga six or whoever the customer is and be able to talk, not in great depth, but certainly, you know, to some degree about these companies. And so that's an area we're hiring for internally, um, to really oversee, manage, direct, um, the growing army of ambassadors that we have couple of other roles internally around project management and that kind of stuff but they're, they're sort of the main ones if anyone is listening is interested they're all on our linkedin page well that's great and not only well i'll, I'll tag you but i'll also tag the uh, website and if we can find some of those job descriptions online we can kind of tag those in this episode anthony this has been fantastic you have this you know depth of knowledge that you've you've been living in this uh technology marketing restaurant space it it sounds like you have a, a great handle on it and um, this need that the virtual and ghost kitchens have to compete in the open marketplace. It sounds like you've really landed in the right spot so you can continue your, your personal journey. Yeah. I feel like I'm sort of the old adage, Tony of, uh, you know, don't go digging for gold, be the guy that sells the tools. Um, I feel yes. like I'm in that position. Yes, I literally had a podcast on that and is what can we learn from Levi's and the gold rush? Yes. Yeah, he sold the picks. 
in, in the genes. That's exactly. it. Exactly. I knew exactly. I was close. <laughs> you, no, you hit it. No, that, that's perfect, Anthony. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Pleasure. Thanks, Tony. Great to talk to you.